For many of us north of the border, the Canadian Football League is ingrained in our culture. Jim Van Pelt, ready to start the 1958 edition of the Great Cup. Since 1909, the Great Cup, the league's Super Bowl, if you will, has been handed out to the best Canadian team. But from 1916 to 1918, Canada's participation in the First World War resulted in the cancellation of the championship. This time around, it isn't a war that might cancel the season. It's a virus. Unlike the NFL, the CFL season plays out throughout the summer. Yes, the rules are different in Canada, but the game is still very competitive and the television ratings draw large numbers in the country. It is my pleasure to present the 100th Grey Cup to your hometown Toronto Argonauts! This was supposed to be week one in the CFL. The Edmonton Eskimos were supposed to be hosting the BC Lions to kick off the 2020 season, but they aren't. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced the CFL to have a delay of game. The CFL asks the federal government for $150 million to help weather the COVID-19 outbreak. Now there are more questions surrounding the league. At this very moment, the CFL has very little momentum when it comes to a return to play scenario, but they're optimistic. Nate Bahar is a wide receiver for the Ottawa Red Blacks and Randy Ambrosi is the commissioner of the CFL. They join us on this edition of the Sports on Pause podcast. So Richard, I'll educate you a little bit as the American in Canada about what the CFL means to many Canadians. It's literally the fabric of many communities outside of the city that we live in, Toronto. It is their team. And that's why Ambrosi is such a hit with CFL fans because when he came on board, a former player, former leader of the PA, he dreamt big. He thought that the Grey Cup could be an institution where Canadians celebrated like it was Canada Day all over again. But dreaming big and having a strategy to go even international doesn't really happen in a global pandemic. So I'm really interested to see how he's going to curtail some of those big visions to make sure they're profitable in the long term. With those answers and more, why don't we talk to the commission himself, Randy Ambrosi. So Randy Ambrosi is the 14th and current commissioner of the Canadian Football League. During the offseason, you may have interacted with him on his Randy's road trip tour of the country. Well, this offseason has been different, and maybe the road trips in the future might be different. He's not at training camps right now interacting with fans. He is hoping to make sure that the league can come back for the fans. His experience as a player and as an administrator and as part of the PA and now as part of the league office has not really helped him get ready for this challenge, nor I assume has his education from the University of Manitoba. Randy, this has been an education for all of us. What have you learned through this period as you're trying to usher the league into a spot where it can survive and maybe potentially thrive? 
Oh my gosh, the uh, I think there's a long list of things that uh, we're all learning. You know, I, I think one of the things that strikes me every day is that you have to learn to separate uh, speculation from fact, because obviously we have a lot of unanswered questions. And, and the instinct is to glue together two or three ideas and treat them as though that is fact and evidence to support an argument. And some part of the exercise, uh, again, maybe a, a second lesson learned, is to really step back from it all and ask the question of whether or not uh, that is in fact a fact or just what we're speculating. So, you know, there I think there are good lessons to be learned from this. We're all feeling a little disempowered, you know, compared to a normal operating uh, environment. But there probably will be some good uh, to, that comes from it uh, in amongst all of the suffering and and tragedy, there will be some good that comes from it. Maybe we'll become better at, uh, at what we do. Randy, as we talk to you today, where is the CFL's viability regarding playing in 2020 or playing in early 2021? Well, it's a great question. And I think over the last couple of weeks in particular, you know, I've really uh, been focusing not just on, you know, what it would take to get us to play in 20, but really a chance to really reframe uh, the way we think about the league and looking at 21 and beyond. I saw yesterday a report that suggests that there could be upwards of 300 million jobs displaced as a result worldwide as a result of the virus. And obviously there is going to be some economic fallout. Uh, we won't see an economic recovery an immediate economic recovery when the virus uh, crisis passes. So we're going to have to think about the business environment and the economic environment that we'll be operating in uh, when this is done. And, you know, again, lesson learned in this is that uh, a crisis doesn't uh, eliminate your problems. It actually just amplifies them. And so the idea is, as we look at all of the options to play in 2020, we have to be mindful about, uh, 21 and beyond. And I think it's a chance to reset. It's to look at our operating model, look at our cost structures, look at how we organize ourselves, opportunities to share resources. So, you know, before we ask our teams to swallow a bitter pill and spend money and lose money uh, much more than they would lose in a normal season, I want to be able to show them something on the other side. I want to be able to say that if, in fact, we go ahead and do anything in 20, it has to be leading us to a better place into the future. And, you know, frankly, I, I'm optimistic that we can do that. I think we've got uh, great stakeholders. I think everyone in and around our game loves the CFL, loves what it stands for. I think we've still got a lot of momentum on our 2.0 strategy. But personally, I think it's time for CFL 3.0, which will be just a better version of ourselves and a, and a better operating model. And through that lens, I think we can survive the crisis and uh, and look forward to a great future. So the most recent decisions in the news uh, around the league were, one, to move the Great Cup in terms of awarding Saskatchewan 2022, keeping Hamilton as the host for 2021, and going to a model of a win it, then you host it model if the game is played in, in 2020, and two, to allow players back into facilities if their jurisdictions locally say that's okay. Can you walk us through 
the mindset and the decision making in terms of how you came to both of those decisions? So the 2020 Grey Cup uh, obviously was planned for Saskatchewan, and it's very clear now that under no circumstances uh, will we end up having what we'd call a normal Grey Cup experience of bringing large numbers of our fans and and you know what it's like. Grey Cup is an amazing event in part because it's so fantastically social. Uh, the festival is as big a part of Grey Cup as the game itself is. And so the decision not to go with a normal Grey Cup was an easy one to make because even the most optimistic amongst us had to acknowledge that Grey Cup would be very challenged uh, through that lens of what we would describe as a traditional Great Cup experience. So that part was easy. The uh, the win and host, I think, was just a really good, interesting innovation, actually just taking a page out of, uh, you know, if you look at MLS, for an example, and obviously hockey, uh, you know, well-documented, uh, you know, as, the, as teams continue to play through the playoffs, they, you know, they get to play uh, their games at home. And ultimately, we just felt that for what is clearly going to be a nearly bizarre year that all of us will remember for the rest of our lives. This was the one time to look at Grey Cup differently, and we made the decision that uh, the win and host would be the best way to operate in these unique uh, circumstances. As it relates to reopening facilities, uh, again, just simply taking guidance from healthcare authorities and officials as they roll out their phased-in uh, restart plans. It's a nice thing to think about being able to welcome uh, the players who are in the local community back to the facilities. Obviously, in order to do that, we need to do it safely. But it's a step towards feeling like we're closer to a more normal environment. And the message from the league office to the teams is, is provided they can operate their facilities in line with public health requirements, as long as we do everything we can to follow the rules and make sure that our players and staff uh, remain healthy, then it's good, healthy, and a positive step towards getting us closer to where we all want to be, and that is uh, playing football at some point uh, down the road. Randy, could you um, characterize where things stand now regarding discussions between the CFL and the Canadian government? Yeah, those conversations are ongoing. They have asked us to look at existing programs. Uh, the government has been rolling out uh, uh, programs, and especially relevant to us through Economic Development Canada and Business Development Canada. Those are loan programs of various types that they've been rolling out. So we have been doing an investigation there. You know, right from the very beginning, I would say the discussion with government uh, has been positive. You know, the federal government is obviously, and, and frankly, all levels of government, whether it be federal, provincial, or, or municipal, are dealing with an unprecedented crisis. And, you know, for every five problems they try to solve today, 50 more show up uh, tomorrow. And you have to be respectful of that. You have to acknowledge that uh, no one could have seen this coming, uh, despite the fact that there's been several uh, movies, the great theme around the, you know, the, the looming pandemic. None of us saw this coming. And uh, what we want to do is have an, you know, we wanted to have a good, honest conversation about some of the challenges that we were going to face, try to, you know, frame up the problem. But now we're, you know, we're working with them to look at these programs. And then on the other side, we, 
firmly acknowledge that part of the responsibility to get back on our feet is on us. It's to do a reset of our operating model, to find efficiencies everywhere you can. You know, Winston Churchill once famously uh, said that you should never waste a crisis. And obviously, I think in this context, we can use this crisis as a way of reflecting on a better way to run the league, run the teams that can lead us to greater prosperity in the future. Having said that, is a 2020 season viable without some sort of government intervention or support? That question hasn't been fully answered yet. We got a lot of our team presidents and support staff working on that uh, very question right now. I think, again, part of the answer to that question lies in the in the amount of pain that we would ask our teams to endure this year, in my view, can only be rational if we show them that once we get through the crisis, there are better days ahead. And that's why I've been really talking about this theme of a CFL 3.0, which is all of our ambitions and aspirations in our 2.0 strategy, but it's all about a better operating model uh, going forward. So at some level, we have to be able to show our owners and teams that if we struggle through 20, get through this year, if we can find a way to play football, it has to be in service of a brighter future. So I think the answer is we got to figure out uh, not just the, the today problem, but we got to figure out the tomorrow situation as well. And through that lens, I think there is still room for some optimism that we can play some football this year. Of course, it's always going to be dependent on public health authorities. This is a contact virus and we play the ultimate contact sport. So it's not going to be easy, but it's definitely worth pursuing because we hear loudly from our fans. They'd love to see us play this year, if at all possible. Obviously, putting aside the, the health concerns, you know, those would be first and foremost in terms of decision making. When you, you try and balance the economic situation. Can you maybe explain some of your overhead fixed costs that you're going to have no matter what and, and how you manage those if there are no revenue streams over the course of uh, the next season? First and foremost, you try to reduce those costs as much as you can everywhere you can. So we've been going through an exercise of really trying to look at how do we torque back all of our operating costs. So you know, we have pulled apart our budgets in every conceivable way possible. And, and I think we've got some really, really good plans to try to get our operating costs down as low as we can. You know, we've been trying to the best of our ability to, to maintain our employment as best we can across the league. It's not always easy, but we, we believe we've got a really good team of people that are committed to the future. So we're trying to keep uh, as much fan engagement. That's why programs like the Q's program, uh, the employee wage subsidy is, has been helpful, uh, as it has been helpful to companies across the country and in, uh, in almost every industry you can imagine. So taking advantage of those is, uh, is a priority. But you're trying to get uh, your heartbeat down, try to find a level at which we can preserve capital to the very best of our ability and then um, and then look forward to trying to get back uh, to playing in 2020 and uh, and beyond Randy I know the answer to this is likely there's so many 
sort of contingencies and unknowns that it that'll be a hard one to answer. But in broad strokes, if you could, how does this pandemic impact the CFL's ability to get American players, American college football players, playing in your league in the near term? With the very, very biggest uh, sort of uh, uh, factor here, or one of the biggest factors that anybody who wants to come into the country of Canada at the moment has to self-quarantine to start with for 14 days. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's, uh, as you said, it's more or less obvious. Look, we want to, at the appropriate time, assuming all things being equal, that we can figure out an economic model that makes sense for 2020. It'd be great to get our players to cross the border. And one of the things that we'd have to account for in any scenario would be that we would have to put the players into quarantine for a period of time. And I don't know if you've noticed, but some of these guys got pretty big appetites. So you got to, you know, not just, you're not just quarantine them, but you got to feed them and, and make sure you're looking after them as well. So all of those things are going into the models. And, and of course, the question about the border is an interesting one. Uh, look, we'll do it if we can make sense of it. We'll do it if we think we can uh, get the players here safely and not only get them here safely, but keep them safe during the process. This is not a time to be cavalier. It's not a time to be macho. It's not a, you know, time to say, you know, how does that phrase, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. Like we've got to be thoughtful in everything we do and make sure that every move we make is done with a thorough, thoughtful calculation to keeping everyone in our system, fans included, as safe and healthy as we can, because we want to contribute to the recovery of Canada, not be a cause of a, of a setback. So maybe I'm reading into the language too much, but when I heard winning it and hosting it as language, I thought to myself, okay, well then maybe a hub city is off the table because naturally if you're in a hub, there is no real home team. The benefit would be, I guess, choosing what uniform you use. Are those two scenarios mutually exclusive? Have you pivoted from one to the other playing in market or having a, a hub city or cities? Well, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. So you could imagine, I think you could imagine a scenario that uh, assuming you're not playing with fans, let's just take that as a really sucky given that you're not playing with fans. So at some point you're again, hype, uh, this is all hypothetical. You're do you're playing in a hub city or hub cities. And now you end up with two teams that are going to play for the gray cup. Uh, one of them had a better record during, you know, the season that you played. Is there a possibility that you could go potentially back to that home city and play there? I, I don't know. Again, so Donovan, you're asking an interesting question and I'm saying, what I've learned in this exercise as we look in, at all options and scenarios is that you don't necessarily gain anything by ruling anything out because there's usually a way that something can be possible. The exercise right now that we're undertaking is really to narrow the list of options down to a small number. And, you know, I have been asked by our governors to really explore the question of when What's an appropriate date for a go, no-go decision on a 2020 season? You know, I'm looking at, A, uh, the calendar now more acutely than, say, up to this point. 
we're also looking at how do we narrow these options down. I think that, frankly, if you were to do a hub city strategy, chances are you'd just be better off just having the game in one of those cities where you've already been, the teams have been accustomed to operating. You'd be better off not to move those teams to another community. But I guess, Donovan, since we're having fun speculating on the art of the possible we're just indulging you in, and you're the next guy who's contributing to the mayhem of the nearly infinite combinations and permutations that we've been facing. That's what I do. That's my specialty. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Randy, um, is there uh, any flexibility when it comes to your television contract in terms of uh, getting some relief from a network or trying to find new avenues to bring in revenue, which, you know, obviously would perhaps help you with what is obviously going to be an incredibly challenging 2020 when it comes to the finances of the league? Well, the answer, I suppose, in part uh, lies in this reality. While, yes, our relationship with TSN is driven by a very complex and very detailed contract it's more fundamentally driven by a partnership and a relationship that has been built over many years. And it's built on a common love of, of, of the CFL. It's built on a common faith in the, in the value that we create. And, and frankly, the excitement we have that we share for the kind of future that the CFL can have through a CFL 2.0 and a three, CFL 3.0 lens so look, at the appropriate time, when we think we've narrowed this down to the art of what's possible, I think it will be a chance to sit down with Stuart Johnson and his, and his colleagues at TSN and say, look, here's what we think we could do and how could we make it happen together. So at the appropriate time, we'll sit down and have those conversations. And uh, based on my experience so far, uh, which has been incredibly positive, I, I feel very confident that that together we'll figure out how to do the right things. The way I see it, you have two opponents here. One is obviously the virus that we're all facing, but the other is the calendar. What do you have as terms of a framework in terms of a drop dead date to start the season and maybe a you know buffer date and that you're only willing to push the season back so far into December? Well, again, that's the uh, that's the question that I was uh, that was put to me this week by our governors, by Dale Lastman, our board chair, and our lead governors. Uh, basically, laid at my feet the responsibility to come up with a calendar and uh, and kind of a decision day. And I'm working through that right now. I told them that uh, I had a chance to listen to all nine of the lead governors, kind of express their thoughts on on what their views were. And then Dale uh, Lastman in turn said, okay, Randy, now it's over to you to make a decision. And I've been working with my team. I'll be talking to our team presidents uh, in the days ahead. And, and I expect sometime in the next you know, week or two, I'll, I'll go back to the lead governors with not just a date, but the rationale for that date and how it fits into the broader strategy. So you know, right now, again, we're trying to narrow the field on what's possible, including, you know, how far into, you know, the calendar year we could push this. You know, in one respect, one of the things that we know for sure is that uh, time is both a friend and an enemy in this context. So the further you push into the fall, 
you know, based on what we're all hearing, you know, the potential for a second wave of the virus is, uh, is greater. So, you know, you want to, to the best of your ability, tighten this thing down. If you were going to have some kind of a season, you'd want it to be very tight if possible so that you could get your players and all your staff in, have your great cup game and get out. So we're very mindful of all of these dynamics as we decide what to do next. And, uh, and that's the process that we're undertaking now is to just figure out what's best. So narrow the field and then at some point make a decision, you know, if we can go. I, again, I would just emphasize going this year is not just about 2020. It's about making sure that whatever step we take now sets this league up for a long term future, because I I find it very difficult to the idea of asking my governors to to and owners to endure uh, a tremendous amount of pain in 2020 only to give them more pain into the future so my thinking today is that uh, if playing in 20 and uh, you know i guess digesting some of the consequences of the virus i can do that i can justify that ask if i can show them something better in the future so so that's the work that we're doing and you know, again, I'm I'm pretty optimistic that there's a possibility of a good outcome here, but uh, but there's more work to be done before we get to that conclusion. For some of your fellow professional leagues in North America, as they also try to return to play, the Players Association has been both a friend and an enemy. Whether it is enacting a plan to return to play or deciding what the parameters would be if the season has to be shut down in 2020 to make sure that 2021 is viable and fruitful. Is that something that has to be collectively bargained with the players? Whatever we do, you know, and whatever adjustments we're going to make to the, to the operating model of the league, the players are going to have to be part of that solution. Absolutely. There aren't all that many things that go on around the the kind of uh, operating model that we'll have as a league that don't have and don't need the players' uh, support. So I, th- I think at a you know my uh, assumption every day when I go into this is that uh, at the right time when we think we figured out how to make this work, then we've got to get to we've got to sit down with the players and talk to them, and of course. It goes beyond our players. We, we've got a great team in our football operations group from GMs and coaches and, and our scouts and all of, you know, they, they have to be part of this as well. And, and then we've got operations and, you know, just administration and all of those things that, that have to factor into this as well. But the bottom line is that in order to really take us to where we want to go, we're going to have to get everybody involved to be part of the solution so that ultimately we can, um, you know, find our way through the crisis and into better days ahead. Well, we look forward to what those CFL 3.0 solutions look like. And when they come into place, we hope you'll join us again and walk us through them. Thanks so much, Randy. Guys, it's been a real pleasure. And again, stay safe. Best wishes to you and, uh, and your families. Well, Donovan, Randy Ambrosi has some significant challenges and much more significant than his counterparts south where they have 
mega television contracts and humongous franchise valuation to stem whatever delay may or may not happen when it comes to the NFL. It was certainly interesting to hear the commissioner's perspective as they navigate some unprecedented times. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned the NFL because the difference for CFL players going through this than NFL players is they don't have huge signing bonuses. They don't have millions of dollars, or even they don't have rich agents that might be able to give them a little bit of line of credit until things return back to normal. And Nate Bahar is a great example, a guy who's literally in his physical prime that you know was a free agent looking to make a big splash in a new market, and now he's not sure when that's going to happen. You get into this purgatory where you're behind everyone else in the employment line because you've been employed as a football player, but yet you still need to make ends meet. I'm interested to hear how Nate is balancing all of that. Let's bring him into the conversation. So Nate Bahar is a talented football player, uh, loved in the city of Ottawa as he was a Carlton Raven and now an Ottawa Red Black. Uh, more importantly, he's out of London, Ontario, so I won't hold it against him that he didn't stay in town and was a Western Mustang. Uh, I'll put that aside today and today only <laughs> as he is nice enough to join this podcast. But in all seriousness, Nate, what has this time been like for you because you're a creature of habit at this time throughout your year you were either training for a season or in the midst of a season and now you're not it's beyond bizarre that is for sure um once everything started getting shut down like the weirdest thing i think was you know in mid-march or whatever it was late late march when the gym finally got closed for good and it was kind of like okay well this is gonna be weird to prep for a season and then all of a sudden it's has become more and more clear that like okay so the season's not starting on time and then it kind of starts to throw the best wrenches and everything like it was weird enough thinking i had to do six square meals a day and like try to do as many push-ups as i could to stay in shape and all that sort of stuff and then once it started to click in that like the actual season was potentially done if not delayed it's been a weird process luckily i think i'm in a, a good camp in the sense that i'm distracting myself in terms of not going too crazy in my idle time but yeah, it's a, it's a lot to process when things are so very different than they were 365 ago. Nate, can you give us from um, your perspective, what has the league told you regarding return to play plans and potential salary compensation or cuts? Can you give our listeners a sense of like what you know as a player in the league? I'm not 100% sure that they even know fully yet with this being a unpredictable global pandemic to literally every single person on planet earth um it's i don't think anybody had this contingency plan written in any contracts actually i know that to be a fact so i think they're working their way through all of that stuff especially in terms of the um the salary conversation should things not change and then how that would all boil down um the simple facts of the matter is that it's not the most cash rich league which is not to say that it's not important and beautiful and have a great product on the field no much just the nature of the beast that we that we're that we live with and it's worked so far but in terms of return to play and, and the like, oh, heck, I don't even know. I mean, I think the general consensus, general thought point of view is that we're, it's a tough spot for the league because so much of the team-by-team team revenue and, and um, income comes from, you know, gate-driven sales and all those sort of things. And that the actual the TV contract deals and stuff that we would act, the only part of it would really be 
able to be maintained would be the TV deals and stuff like that, that don't actually go to the individual teams, but they go to the league and the players. So it's, it's just a tough financial battle or financial problem to try to rectify that I am so thankful I have zero impact or zero need to try to figure out myself because I wouldn't even know where to begin. So <laughs> I'm not exactly sure if that helps answer your question, but that's pretty much all I got. Like, I, don't, I don't know if there's a lot that's completely figured out, to be honest. So the CFL began by asking the federal government for some financial support because, as you mentioned, it's not a cash-rich league. So they asked for $150 million in financial assistance due to the pandemic, and that was broken down in different ways, $30 million in terms of additional cash, if it was an abbreviated season. So two parts. One, do you think the CFL is in a position where it would be for the greater good of the entire country to have some support by the government so that it has a season in two as a player. How do you feel about not being a part of that ask? Yeah. Um, I'll start with number one. I'll attack number one first. I think um, I would like to live in a world where Canada holds the CFL near and dear enough that they would understand the government wanting to not bailout, bailout is such a dramatic term, but um, to keep alive such a foundational institution, um, cultural icon, in a sense, or cultural staple of, the, of Canada. And especially with regards to everything that's going on and the, sort of the, what felt like positive momentum, I feel like in sort of the five or so years um, leading up to myself getting the league and being fully immersed in it, it felt like there was a little bit of stagnation. I think I've heard that from other people as well. Like one of the growing issues was like, how are they going to, you know, grow a fanship when, you know, it seemed like the main demographic was, you know, aging out a little bit, was a little bit older and how we bring this. And then there were some things that made me think that there, we were moving in a positive direction. And for all the naysayers on in the Twitter comment sections, um, against what Randy Ambrosi is trying to do with CFL 2.0, I really, I really see the vision. I mean, I've heard him speak personally about, you know, how the premier league in, in, uh, in Europe was, pretty much just a cast aside league. And then all of a sudden they made it globally attractive to all these people. And now it's easily the premier league that brings the most talent. And so I, I get the idea and I, and I see the vision and I think, and I hope that people believe in that enough that they think that this could be something long-term that, that not only continues to remain um, a big part of Canadian society, but only grows the more. Um, and then with that as well, it's like, it's always so interesting to me when people, whether it's about athletes particularly or sports leagues in general, like people are so quick to never bat an eye when like a government bails out some massive corporation that has absolutely zero impact on someone's day to day life. Like they'll give them billions of dollars and people don't even, don't even blink twice. But as soon as it's something to do with sports or as soon as it's an athlete asking for something, it's almost like, oh, like you should be privileged or just feel happy that you even exist. Like you shouldn't need anything. Um, that's something that I saw a lot when that whole story dropped. But it's like, it's still just a business and every business is duty and every every CEO or CFO's duty would be to ask the government for help. Randy Rose is just doing the exact same thing. So with that said, I think that side of it is is a little, it's just misconstrued by people and that's what most things are these days. But, and then in terms of being brought to the table, I mean, I, as much as I love football and all that sort of thing, like it's, it's still a job. And I understand that like if I worked at, you know, CIBC or, RBC and they were they were going to the to the government for some sort of help. I don't think that you know me as the as the desk clerk would be would be brought to the table with them. So I, I understand that um, we obviously do so much for the league and whatnot, but we have player reps and stuff as well that like that are supposed to speak for us. So me personally, I'm okay. Give us your perspective on how you would feel about daily temperature checks, COVID nineteen testing on a regular basis, having to theoretically quarantine yourself. It's interesting for us, I think, to get a perspective of a professional athlete regarding how he or she would approach those kind of things. 
I mean, hey, if I could get paid a penny to to run around in in tights and a jersey and a plastic helmet, then like I'm gonna pretty much do whatever I can to make sure that that's that's the reality I live in. So like if if I gotta get swabbed every day and do the temperature checks, it's like it's the lesser of two evils. I mean, I, I, I'm 25 and we all know there's the shelf life football player. So I'm willing to get pretty creative on how we can make this thing work to stay, to get some sort of semblance of a season in my prime. That's just me personally. Like I don't, that doesn't bother me. If it's going to be a quarantine out West or wherever that I know I've seen that floating around doing the whole partnered cities thing. Um, it's really going to be two, two and a half months, which is just like uh, in a lot of ways could be a long vacation that you get to just play sports with your buddies and get paid for it. So it's it's not the end of the world at all uh, from my point of view. You mentioned the financial aspect of it, which is real, especially for CFL players in the conversations that you've had with guys and in, in the text groups that you're on. What is the state of the average player financially? There are many players that work other jobs throughout their CFL careers, but many don't and focus on just football, which now has gone away and we're not sure if and when it will return. Have those conversations been had amongst players in terms of what it might look like financially if there is very limited football or none at all? Not too, too many, like too specifically, but I definitely chat with guys and I think, and I hope that most guys have a, um, from what I from what I got, a lot of the guys I'm close with like have plans, whether it's they've already been working a job in the offseason or have something lined up now at this point now, whether they're comfortable kind of leaning on for a little bit until stuff comes back. I think that's necessary. I think the the biggest issue is like given a moniker of technically a quote unquote professional athlete, um, sometimes the ego can play a role in not wanting to feel like a layman or something like is if you can't just work because you have this moniker or you have the verified check on some stupid social media, like so I think that once people can separate that and separate themselves from that and realize that just the reality of it is like I have six months to make money and the other six months I get paid to play a sport, um, then people will be okay. But it's it's tough because you're right. Like there are there are a lot of people, even guys that you know may have bigger contracts that were supposed to kick in in the last month and now they're kind of sitting on their hands because they didn't work for six months because they didn't need to. They're making plenty of money. So for those guys, I do hope that they have something in mind. I think most do. We're all pretty aware. I will say as a as a community of, of athletes that that this thing doesn't last forever. Well, it's that grounded perspective which makes you a really good follow, even though you do have the verified check. Uh, <laughs> at Nate Bahar 11 uh, is where you can get everything that he's up to. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Thank you for uh, giving us a little window into what it's been like for you as a player. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Donovan. Well, it's time for the ever-popular segment of this podcast, and that is the last word, where we provide some helpful links or tips regarding something that we've seen this week that uh, stood out to us. I want to cite an article I read in the New York Times on June 4th. It's called How to Hug During a Pandemic. And the subhead here is of the many things we miss from our pre-pandemic lives, hugging may top the list. We asked scientists to study airborne viruses to teach us the safest way to hug. Now, you know, there's obviously, I'm sure, people who can sort of mock that kind of story. But these are the kind of things, I think, Donovan, sort of service-oriented pieces on things that we never could have imagined we may have to relearn. 
that I think are very helpful. So regardless of whether you're a couple or you want to hug your child or your, uh, your elderly parent, it is a uh, piece by Tara Parker Pope of the New York Times on June 4th, How to Hug During a Pandemic. What do you have? Well, you know what? The next time I see you in person, Richard, I will not be giving you a hug because you stole mine. In full disclosure, uh, producer on this very podcast, producer also of This Week in 30 on Sportsnet, Dan Lormer, you know, will, will send us some things to take a look at to keep us educated and also to bail us out if we don't have a good one. That is the case for me. He bailed me out and you stole mine. So uh, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to stick with the New York Times. I'm going to stick with hugging, maybe some other things. 511 epidemiologists give you a breakdown on when you can expect to hug again, fly again, and do 18 other everyday activities again. So you can do that as maybe some partnered reading, you know, in school when you're, you're given some assigned reading afterwards. Both of those work well together. You can stay on the New York Times website. A primer on when you can do things again. It's a great read. Listen, I would be happy to do anything close to my normal routine again but right now my normal routine is talking to you guys about this so that i really appreciate i appreciate all the feedback that we get constantly and please more important than anything else continue even though people are starting to fatigue with covid19 make sure you stay diligent stay safe take care of yourself and others